and welcome to the Vaccine Challenge. Our mission is to speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine by bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges involved with this mega task and by connecting the various stakeholders that can benefit from working together. I'm Priyanka and today we're in conversation with Gary Newbury. Gary is an interim executive and a last mile expert in Canada. Today, we're going to be focusing on the end-to-end journey of a COVID-19 vaccine and what are the challenges associated with it. Hi there, Gary. It's so lovely to be speaking with you. Thanks so much for taking the time. You're very welcome. I'm very pleased to be contributing to this uh, podcast series where there's some really big issues that we can talk about during the next 45 minutes about vaccine distribution. Absolutely. Wonderful. So 2020 was all about COVID-19. It was about the pandemic. That's what anyone ever spoke about. And then 2021, it's vaccinations. This is something that everyone, the whole world really has waited for. The idea was once the vaccines are researched and approved and out in the market, all of our problems would go away. Now, obviously, most people don't work in supply chain like you and I do. And we know the problem is far from over, right? It's not the vaccines, it's actually the vaccinations. But before we get started on talking about the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccine itself, I think what would be helpful is if you can talk through what a basic supply chain even looks like, and then we'll kind of go on from there. Happy to start there. So I I come from a retail supply chain background. I've been in it for quite a a number of years, to to say the least. And what I've observed over a long period of time is that supply chains work in a certain way, that we have a supply network, we work with the supply network, we issue purchase orders, we typically bring product into a warehouse, we prepare it for store distribution, we send it out to stores. And of course, now we've got the added fun of having e-commerce against that, and what we do in a warehouse, do it in an intermediate warehouse, or do it from stores. But the whole intricacies of the supply chain are very well understood. Uh, Supply chains have existed for, for years, for decades, I would say. Certainly in the current format, we've had major technology changes like the container. It's as basic as that the warehouse management system, uh, demand planning tools and techniques. So it all all kind of fits together. Everybody knows what we do. We tend to run the supply chain in what we call silos. Everybody, you know, in the warehouse and the transportation, inventory management, replays. It all kind of works when we're in a nice steady state. But guess what? We still make mistakes. We still don't deliver everything we expected to have on the shelf, even after decade after decade after decade of improvement, of more sophistication, more technology. So the supply chain is all the individual logistics elements that are coordinated across an organization and beyond the organization with the supplier network to actually deliver value to the consumer. The consumer has an expectation. Our job as a retailer or as a component in the retail ecosystem is to deliver that value to the consumer on time at a place they want it and and that's where some of our challenges as we look at the vaccine distribution ecosystem or, or, or situation we find ourselves in are becoming very clear to us that we when we go back to our normal jobs that we may need to take some lessons from the vaccine distribution and actually reapply it to our retail supply chain the manufacturing supply chain whatever supply chain you might find yourself in to say we learned some really important lessons here. We need to bring them back and we need to improve our 
our lot so we can actually do a much better job in, in our marketplaces. How interesting. Um, this is all incredible, obviously, cross-industry learning, especially now we're in a place where supply chains probably haven't been as strained as they ever have been in the past, especially with vaccines needing to be delivered pretty much to every person in the globe. Not a big deal now. Do you want to maybe start off with talking about what the end-to-end supply chain of the COVID-19 vaccine itself looks like? And then perhaps we'll get on to discussing specifically what lessons uh, retail and other industries can take from this mega task. Yeah, let, let me just start by just some kind of sound biting, because if we go back about three or four months, uh, there was quite a lot of interest in vaccine distribution, how it's going to work out. And all we had, 8,000 jumbo jets. Jobs are good, we're done. Everybody gets it, no problem. But we didn't know who was going to do it, where it was going to come from, what problems they may have, because we're going to go up from no vaccines to maybe 20 billion vaccines distributed from or made by various different uh, pharma producers. We weren't quite sure who that was. And we may distribute it and, and inoculate all the population or part of it because we didn't know if we were going to have a voluntary or compulsory element to, to vaccinations. So given that whole context and that we've never actually done anything like this before, we've done bits of this puzzle because we've had epidemics which have been, which have seen vaccinations being distributed on a regional basis. But when we have a pandemic, that's global, that's everybody, it's seven and a half billion people that ha- you know, have to be found located vaccinated once and 20 days or 12 weeks later get vaccinated again. So we have a logistics problem which also has a political dimension and the political dimension is this, we know we're going to go into a rationing situation and the, the, the magic is this, whoever gets to be vaccinated first to an extent they can reopen their economies, their economies can seriously motor when we sit in a retail supply chain, we really think about the competitor. We don't tend to think about much bigger issues about government, you know, industrial strategies and stuff like that. We just want to nail the, nail the competitor. And hopefully we don't see Amazon in that, in, in that bubble of competitors. But here we've got nations effectively duking it out about, you know, I've got this great contract and it, I'm going to get all my people done first. And then we get these terms, vaccine nationalists where different countries, if they've got the capabilities in their country to produce, may actually siphon it off to their own citizens. And it's perfectly natural in some ways for that to, for that to follow before they distribute it to other places in the world. And we've got a big issue between developed countries and developing countries and whether or not they're, whether they rank on the overall scale of you know, the production of vaccines. So that's just a very broad context of which our supply chain, our vaccine distribution network has to operate within. So there are a number of components in this uh, and some part of this is going to be a little bit Canadian it, it, to an extent, but I think that it, it's generalizable to other parts of the world. Canada is in the G7, so it has, it has a couple of things going on here. It has a very large land mass and a very low population density. It's the second largest country in the world, but it's got one, not one of the smallest populations, but it's got very low population density. It's about 
three people per square kilometer compared to where I come from, England, which was about 250 people per square. So the, the densities are, are, are different. And importantly, we do not have our own production capability. They got exported elsewhere because it was, guess what, a little bit cheaper elsewhere. <laughs> In terms of our resilience as a country to fight off real life or death issues to, to our citizens, one of the important bastions of, of keeping control and, and managing that was exported to, to, to a foreign nation. So the, the supply chain, it, uh, let, let's just look at this from a, what we see as, as a public. We see, we hear Modano, AstraZeneca, Pfizer, and there's probably a few others which are kind of loose in my mind. And they're kind of, they've got factories, some are in America, some are in Europe, some are in the EU, some are on the borders of the EU. We've got Russian, we've got Chinese equivalents of these. All, all going into the market, we think everyone's on full production, we're fine. Oh, there's a, there's a hold up. The factory's retooling, or maybe there's a chemical or something that's missing. So there's a delay. So we immediately get into rationing. The next link in the chain is actually how do we get it from the factory? And bear in mind, some of these vaccines have special handling characteristics like being having to be kept at minus 70 minus 80 degrees centigrade i mean there's no supply chain certainly not in north america that can maintain that temperature nationally because we need to look at national and international supply chain capabilities that can hold it there so they've developed little boxes they put i think it's five thousand vials in there slam the box closed and then it can be transported typically in, in ambient conditions when it gets into the country, it probably will be landed in an airport. From the airport, it needs to be decided whether or not it gets onto another plane. In Canada, if it lands in Toronto, it ought to get on a plane to go to Vancouver. It's five hours in, in a jet plane, so it's you know, five days on the truck. So we, we need to get this stuff out to the regions and provinces in Canada. And then from then, we've got literally the kind of almost the last mile element from that central place where it lands to get it distributed into the communities of which the vaccination will take place. There's a whole raft of things going on to make that happen because our emphasis, it, as we talk as logisticians, it's all about getting a vaccine out of the factory, onto the plane, into the truck, to the place. But actually there's a whole range of, you know, materials, manpower, getting and a qualified resource into the place, plus a queue of people lined up so we can you know, vaccinate at a, at a real fast rate of knots. And then there is the repeat, kind of rinse and repeat version of that, because in 20 days or 12 weeks, depending on which um, uh, regime you're in you, uh, and what policy that the local governments are taking, we have to do that again. So we need to make sure, certainly in the short term, that the same vaccine is administered the second time. Although there is research being done, can we mix the vaccine? So we can have Pfizer on the first one if we've got that. It doesn't matter if Pfizer run out because we've got the Moderna coming in and we can jab people up on the second time with the other vaccine. And as I say, there's tests being done on, on the efficacy of can you mix them and does it still generate the same or very similar result? So that's a broad picture. So we've got manufacturing, 
the travel through international transport networks to potentially an airport in the country and then a distribution to a region and then effectively the last mile into the place where it's going to be administered. Got it. Not complex at all. Very, very oh, easy. I've described um, it. Jobs are good. And right. I mean, it took oh. all five minutes. How tough can this be, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So talk to me about where are the biggest bottlenecks throughout this value chain? Is it like as someone even being it's sometimes hard to understand. Is it that there are not enough vaccines being developed? So is, is, is that a problem right there off the bat? Is it in the last mile? Is it somewhere in the middle mile? Um, is the cold chain managed to be successfully kept? Yeah, just where are the biggest bottlenecks? Well, from where I sit, I think the, the bottlenecks move around because at the moment, as we speak in, in February, uh, we've recently encountered Pfizer having an issue with trying to retool so it can actually, instead of producing, say, 100x, it can produce 200x, and hopefully that, that downtime and the extra production which will now be produced will kind of make up for that. But that's not really helpful when the clock is ticking. People's lives are on the line. So that was seen to be a, a, a difficulty, and Madonna's having issues with its supply network. So we would imagine knowing that there's a whole research team beavering about trying to work out this, this you know, DNA mix or whatever it is and suddenly produce it. Given that they've all had big contracts from you know, countries around the world saying we're committed to this level of production with you, that they wouldn't have already procured plenty of stuff so that when they go into production, it's just flat out seven days a week, 24 hours, and they need to have in extra lines or even extra buildings to literally go at it. Because we've, you know, whoever whoever gets here first in terms of the vaccine producer may actually be looking at a very, very big market. You know, there's 20 billion vaccines to, to produce. And given that, wouldn't you want to be right first to the gate? But they have adopted, a, a, I wouldn't say, a traditional supply chain thinking model which is let's wait until we know more <laughs> and then we'll do this if that happens and that's what certainly what seems to have happened with Pfizer and the fact that Moderna has had some issues with its supply network getting the right chemicals in suggests that something about in their algorithms or their minimum stocks or whatever it is or their bills of material has got in the way and it's a left them short of vital components to actually make the vaccines so there's there's some bottlenecks at the, at the start, but let's assume that them and their, their competitors are all going full bore. All of a sudden we bump into issues about getting it from, from the, the point of production to the country requiring it. Well, we, we just assume that there's bags of planes, and in fact, there are lots of planes which are grounded. But imagine that they're going full bore and we bump into this issue with air freight. Lots of people who can't get stuff across from China into the US because of all the port congestion at Los Angeles on the West Coast are all putting things on flights now. So you know, flights are either fully laden with other, other traffic anyway, or just laid flat and we've now laid off the staff because they're on furlough or just laid them off. So we've got a bit of an issue just to, you know, ahead of us still because if those factories, if the other 
vaccine production companies also go online and, and you know there's a great rush to get everything to everyone because we may not have an air freight capacity to get that out because you know the idea that we've got eight thousand jumbos sticking around and they're just waiting for the vaccines to produce and off we go it, then we've got to make a decision about do we and certainly in canada do we fly them to another airport to get them into say the right province or do we truck them but let's assume that we we fly them in that's a, again making a big assumption there is going to be capacity and flight crews to do this so we've got we've got the stuff you know it's coming into toronto we sent it over to vancouver now we're in a situation that we know we've got some vaccines now we can do some planning because until we knew that was there we couldn't actually line everybody up to have vaccinations until we actually had it in their hand and this is one of the difficulties with this vaccine distribution thing. It's not like a retail and supply chain where, oh, we're out this week, don't worry, come back next week. You can't do anything until you've literally got it in your hand because there's too much uncertainty. You can't line up all these resources. You, you can certainly make sure you've got as much PPE in, it, in as you can for the medical staff who's going to administer all this. And the, the, the right number of, say, syringes that you've reserved the space is who's going to be involved in it. But you certainly don't know until you've got them in your hand how many you've got and therefore how are you going to work through the list of people that you're bringing forward to be vaccinated and if we look at the eu and see the, the kind of situation they found themselves into they've had a constraint in terms of the vaccines they got their orders into the, the companies much later than the uk that's why the uk has made so much progress plus it's actually got homegrown production capacity they're now having to slice up well we, when we get this stuff we don't know what it is but we've got to have a formula to actually allocate it to different countries and those countries are sitting there going what have i got and you know i've got to make a decisions about my vulnerable classes what's the what's the order that i'm going to administer the vaccines in i know there's a lot of complication and these are life or death matters these aren't just like it's a stock out don't worry so we've got all these things and these bottlenecks, it's not a bottleneck that's going to be, oh, we solved that one and we're fine. I think we're going to find bottleneck after it's going to move around. And even when we get to the administration point where we have the vaccines being administered, in Canada, we've had our pharmacy retailers putting their hand on it. We'll help. We've got the army actually involved in this. And for what they've had, they're doing a brilliant job but they've not had the, the stream of vaccines that they needed to do to you know, deploy their, their logistic skills into. So we've had volunteers coming forward in terms of you know, companies, organisations like Shoppers, Draft Mart, Rexels, et cetera. They've all stepped up and said, look, we're used to doing the winter flu virus jabs. So, you know, this should be just like a walking apart. We've also had this kind of really weird thing that when Pfizer have been sending, I think it's Pfizer or it might be Moderna, when they've been sending out vaccines, they, they, they normally are five in a jar, like mm -hmm. in a vial or and a bit. <laughs> and we're so desperate for vaccines, we've worked out we can actually get away, if we just get different types of syringes, we can actually get six out here. We've checked, apparently we've checked with the manufacturer, we can we can get six out and it will still have the same efficacy. That's how desperate we are 
right. getting hold of a patch and things. Yeah. So there's a lot of lot of in, information there to what what seems to be a very straight. You know, where's a where is the bottleneck? But yeah. what we find through this whole process, it will move around, and we have to think on our feet. How do we solve that? How do we get over this to get to the next stage? Absolutely. Wow, that is just a whole bunch going on and I think what you say makes perfect sense right it's if uh even if production is enough today maybe that's the problem tomorrow even if administration is okay today maybe that's the problem tomorrow so like you said it's it's a constant shift and then a constant reiteration of what needs to happen where um so out of curiosity I from what I understand when it comes to inoculations when it comes to a successful vaccine drive for the most part, it's governments that are responsible for planning it all out, right? I'm curious, what kind of help do governments seek from existing private companies or existing companies that make them a lot more qualified, perhaps to plan something like this than even the government themselves? I found, <laughs> having come to Canada, I didn't even know how these things work because we have a federal system, we have a provincial system, we have regionals, and we have municipalities. And each one of these has different levels of preoccupation during these times. So you think that it would make sense for the federal government to be responsible for it because it's a national thing. Oh, yeah, that's okay, except that there are some exceptions for provincial. And in fact, within Canada, some of the provincial governments have taken control from the federal because they have a view about their performance or not. Uh, and then as, as, as you work down the, the system of government and then the vaccination distribution system, there are parts of it which are under municipality control. Uh, it's very intriguing and very worrying that so many people are getting involved in what's, it's already a complex logistical problem. Then if you put on the politics on top of that, you suddenly find, I, I suspect if you're Canadian, you kind of know most of this. But as an outsider, as somebody from, from the UK coming into this, with our way that we did things over then, being very versed in that, I, I look at this and think, this is not going to go well. People are going to get in the way. They've got to get out of the way so that we can actually do what's required, which is to save people's lives, get them jabbed up and, and, and have a success at this. And then on top of that, you've got the logistical problems of not having enough vaccines in the country. We had contracts for five 100 million vaccines signed up in January, the population of Canada is 38 million. I, I, I made a big pitch at the start of this conversation because there's a very political dimension to this whole distribution system. A normal retail supply chain would never encounter. So on top of the, the sheer scale of the operation, all the different players that have to work together on it Politics plays a big part in this because it is this drive to reopen the economy and get ahead of the other countries. But as I mentioned earlier on, that some of our pharmacy retailers are stepping up. Uh, I know that in the UK, lots of ex-medical people have stepped forward, maybe half a million, a million people said, look, I'll help. You know, just let me lose. I want to protect our citizens. I want to contribute. I've got the skill. And there's some challenges with signing those people into administration and uh, there's certain non-medical training they have to go through or have proof that they've done 
before they can actually do something which they're very capable of doing. And these are all like obstacles that prevent us from saving lives. How wonderfully complex all this is. All right, let's let's maybe talk about the administrative challenges then. Uh, right, let's assume there's enough production. Let's assume it's shown up okay on the flight in Toronto, managed to get okay in Vancouver. What are the administrative challenges specifically? What is going on? Are there problems? Firstly, you need, well, you need to know what you've got. How many vaccines have you got? Because you, have, you may have to ration. So you have potentially have your list of you have all your public health records or all your health records of all the different people different age groups different health conditions etc and, and you've been able to assess their, their vulnerability and maybe categorize that into different groups like the over 80 the over 70 over 60 da, 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 essential workers like the police uh, healthcare workers uh, retail workers teachers that in itself is a kind of very value-laden kind of decision-making. In the calm of after this has all happened, somebody be putting a spotlight on that and starting to examine the choices being made. So that's a pretty tough one in its own way. So you know you've got, say, 400,000 coming in, maybe 100,000 this week, 100,000 next week. So you've got your 100,000. You have to reach out. You can't really do very much until you've got it in your hand because you don't know you've got it in, who to talk to. As soon as you've got that in your hand, now you can actually plan out who you're going to bring, who, who to what place, and then you can work out, say, if, uh, you know, you're doing BC and you know, maybe four or five major towns. So you divide hundred thousand by five equals twenty thousand. Right, that's what's what we're going to do. Of course, there's a there's a, a very much simplified problem because you know the demographics may be completely different to what I've, I've indicated. Then you have to line them up one at a time to come in. At a, it could be 20,000 people you're trying to line up. And of course, there's always people who can't make the appointment, etc. But you must have, and particularly in Canada, you need to make sure you've got to have the staff, the medical staff and bookkeeping staff who are going to keep the record for you. Uh, so you can line up these people one at a time to get inoculated, sit over there for attendance in case there is a reaction and then release noting what vaccine they had on what date, what time, and to then chase that up to say that in 20 days' time, assuming you get either the same vaccine or the, the test proof that you can actually mix up vaccines to bring that person back in. So there's a, a quite a complex logistical thing there because you don't know if you're going to get them. So our approach tended to be is we'll have the vaccine and we split it in half and put the rest in the fridge or the freezer and just administer this so we're in control of this these 10,000 people are highly vulnerable we're going to jab them up and we in 20 days time they can come back and we're going to take our reserve and do it again which means that our ability to get to a high level of the population is like cut in half because we're not certain we're going to get wow. our supply Wow. We've got the complexity of the logistics of all this. Then we've got other constraints that we have to work around. There's a whole range of risks around the whole vaccine distribution thing. And one of those is um, you know, fit. There's contamination, there's terrorist risks. There's obviously the delays I've talked about, there's, which are often caused by rationing by the manufacturer or bottlenecks in, in, in the process. I think we're going to get it next week. So we better start doing some initial detailed planning 
and maybe send out a few notes to people. You could be selected to come forward on Tuesday to receive your vaccination at nine o'clock, but you know, we'll let you know again once we've got it in the hand. We often might think about it as just a transportation and the rest of it will take care of itself. And uh, those people in that factory, they just didn't do a brilliant job. So, but as soon as they, as soon as they produce the vaccines, we can get it to places pretty quickly. But every element of this uh, network has the potential to go belly up very quickly. There's lots of complexity in this. And I don't think that the early reports of how this might be managed and how it is actually being rolled out bear any resemblance to each other. Yeah, well, just, 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 just amazing. Um, I'm curious when it comes to people that do get vaccinated the first time that have to be and informed to come back and get their second round because without that it's a little bit all for naught right how does that work is that done centrally by the government is that something that's uh that has some kind of central record keeping and are there any kind of uh people don't show up it, like counts against them or something like that or what what is i don't know yeah. i wonder if there are numbers of how many people actually come back so i'll answer the first one because it's relatively easy we have public health devolved to to provinces so uh, bc british columbia public health authority pha and they will be administering all the records and as we have in ontario the federal government their job is to sign up the contracts get the vaccine into the country and then hand it into the public health authorities of which in ontario have been helped by the the military to actually do you know set up administration centers and, and and do the vaccinations in, in terms of the record keeping that's part of what i call the the admin of the administration it's a it's their responsibility to both call people in make a note of what vaccine they had what day what time any reaction if, if there has been a reaction and then to send out chases and whether that's a combination of letters uh, emails and then to pull those back in in terms of missing people, I think that they would just keep, I don't know, but they could probably just keep issuing letters based on the fact that they were scheduled, but it didn't turn up, they still haven't turned up, and they probably, the PHA would probably reach out and say, hey, I've got your number, and why didn't you turn up? And they may then, we bump into a different aspect of, uh, I would say, culture, which is the, uh, people who do not believe in vaccinations. And then there's some some people who are, of a religious disposition who don't believe that and some people of a cultural disposition don't believe that the vaccines are uh, for them uh, and that's that's sad uh, in my case i just want to see a little bit longer to make sure there isn't side effects that that if i do it now i'm going to get them i'd rather you know see somebody else with a few side effects to and hopefully they modify the, the vaccine and then by the time i get to to, to be called forward it's it's in and we're all good yeah so it, it's this whole network is, is fraught with the whole design of the end-to-end -end network the supply chain is it's fraught with complexity wow um well let's this is a little bit of a hypothetical question if you able to make decisions of what should change of what kind of players should collaborate of what kind of partnerships should be forged in order for this to be a successful drive, as successful as possible? What do you think needs to change? What are some amendments that you would make if you had the power to do so? 
Yeah, I might be just slightly out of date on this because I knew there was discussion between uh, a, a big North American farmer distribution organization called McCatton, and they were saying to the government, kind of work with us or we'll work with you. Because guess what? We're doing the winter flu thing. We've, we're in the farmer industry. We know what we're talking about. We know all the rules and rags, blah, blah, blah. Let us help you do this. I think there was some clashing somewhere along the way because suddenly uh, uh, Sergeant Major, I think I've under, underscored him, fought in, jumped in under either provincial or federal instruction to make this happen. And you know, as I say, he's done a brilliant job given that he's had some major problems with uh, the supply of vaccines to, to distribute and to administer. So I, I think it was sensible to put the military in charge of elements of the whole distribution network and certainly around the PHAs and the, effectively the last mile. In terms of changing, I, I, I would have preferred to see farmer people been involved, farm companies being involved much earlier on because they, they can talk the same language with the farm and manufacturers because they probably have a relationship with these people already and they know how to leverage those relationships much more efficiently than a government who steps into this and says, here's a contract, I hope I've covered everything and covered every eventuality, just give me my stuff. Maybe with some help from the military to, to exp expedite some of the areas where they just needed some extra resource to whether that's administering the vaccinations or setting up the locations to administer vaccinations or just expediting transportation. But somewhere in there, we should have had, in my mind, more involvement with the companies like McKesson who are already in that space and they know how to do the majority of these things. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, uh, there's an argument whether or not it, you know the vaccine should be compulsory, and we have uh, a charter of rights, as it, which specifies a, a number of things that you can and can't do to citizens. And I think forcing people to have a vaccination is outside the charter of rights. It would be a complete contravention of you know the right of the um, citizen to be self-determining. Wow. As if as if the logistical challenges weren't enough. Like you said, you add on political and then, you know, human psychology, people believing one way or another, and which I guess to some extent is political too, right? Whether you can or can't force yeah. them, can and can't do, just adds an added level of um, complication uh, to all of this. I've been reading some really interesting uh, articles about different countries taking approaches that you would never think uh, they would have to resort to just to kind of get creative of how they move vaccines or what they do within the distribution. Is there anything interesting within Canada or outside of Canada that you've come across, which is like, oh, that's kind of a neat, quick and dirty solution that's really resulted from the desperation of having to get this done that otherwise just never have thought about? The UK government or Public Health England has been responsible for doing the contracts, getting it into the country, whatever. But they actually chose to appoint somebody from industry to manage it. And if we look at the rate of progress, there's something like 16 million people already been vaccinated, or more than 25% of the population already been vaccinated. At least. But they went one and then 12 weeks to do the next one. 
So they, they've gone for a policy instead of like we have here is do the first one where you get potentially 50%. In four weeks time, do that one to get the 90% where you get your 50%. And hopefully you may have already had it and therefore somewhat immune. So it kind of reinforces that immunity. And in 12 weeks time, you get called back. There may be research that says we can use any any of these vaccines or we just have to keep with the one that we've administered the first time. But you've got 12 weeks to kind of get everything together. But I think using somebody from outside, I, th I think the lady was from a PE firm or something like that, completely unrelated to you know, pharmacy and all the issues that she may have been kind of highly invested in and you know, understand how it used to work. So yeah. she's come in with a completely clear, clear scope get this done and that's what she's executed on and uh, I, I think she's done a, a pretty brilliant job uh, given you know where we are and how how lives are depending on the decision that she and all the team that's involved with this uh, are executing against yeah uh, when we think about Canada I think we've had 900,000 vaccinations in the same period right that's wonderful so I guess the last couple of questions would definitely be now we're in the thick of vaccinations, inoculations, there's, uh, you know, production happening, we're talking about all of this. I can imagine that in some months time, maybe that's 12 months, maybe slightly longer, uh, we're going to be in a position where we're maybe going to have a whole new set of challenges. Any predictions for what they might be? Any predictions for what is coming that may not necessarily be a challenge now because like you said the bottlenecks or the issues keep changing what do you think we're going to be um, up against in the near future we're just going to see bottlenecks moving all over the place and we're uh, in true reactive style we're going to jump on things because some of this the design of this network encourages a reactive approach so that as, as i explained that when it gets to the PHA, now we now we've got this in our hand. Now we can admin, you know, start working on how we're going to get these uh, vaccinations administered to citizens. So that that in itself is engendering carry on being reactive because that's that's how generally supply chains tend to to work is wait until something happens, wait and see, and then react rather than say strategically what's the best route around this so we don't actually have to do too much firefighting. Beyond the vaccine, there, there's, there's economic recovery, there's the processing of all the cases that haven't been screened, operations performed, procedures done, whatever it is, that is going to collide into the public health system. I can't emphasise how important it is to get the vaccines into the citizens to achieve herd immunity, to allow the the, the economy to reopen and to allow the public health system to switch from a complete and obsessive focus on COVID to other, I would argue, much more devastating diseases like heart conditions, obesity, uh, you know, diabetes, all these things that are just being pushed to one side while we focus on COVID. So uh, the public health system will not, it's not like vaccines done, job done, back to normal, they will be under enormous pressure. So I, I, I feel for all those medical people involved in the public health and the, the delivery of public health, if they thought the last year is tough, it's just going to be so much tougher for, for years to come. Yeah. They'll be dealing with 
all those chronic diseases, they'll be dealing with mental health conditions. And many families will be suffering greatly, not from COVID, but COVID-related uh, outcomes. While everybody's focused on COVID, they're not dealing with the, the other serious conditions people have had. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a long recovery, all kinds of recovery, right? Not just physical. And will we learn anything from this? And when we think about in industry, I've been dying to get hold of a, a warehousing network to redesign it for social distancing from, from square one. Not, not kind of, well, you know, a number of my colleagues have said, oh yeah, we've done, we done the social distancing. What, what, what did you do differently? Oh, we took out some canteen chairs so that we sit for a little while and we got some hand sanitizer and, you know, job, job, jobs are good. And, and I, no, I'm talking about the fundamental design of a warehouse so that people don't get anywhere near each other as they go around doing their selecting, doing their picking and packing, marshalling, loading. The whole thing, we must do this because we need to have businesses which are really resilient to future occurrences like a pandemic uh, i don't think people are even thinking that far ahead but I, I'm, yeah. all, I'm already on there to think about <laughs> what that might look like uh, in terms of warehouse management system design how we configure that in a different way the architecture of warehouses the processes the, the way we we bring about a certain amount of cultural change how we measure success around here and that goes into retail outlets transportation systems the whole lot, we need to have a real rethink because we're just being pretty lazy in our thinking. Uh, uh, what might happen ahead? And what are the implications? And what will we learn? And what yeah. will we be doing so much better to protect our citizens, our workers from these kind of events in the future? We need to find resilience. And if that means bringing pharmacy back into Canada in terms of manufacturing, expanding our hospital resources, yes. All these things must be done. We must learn from this. We must use that learning to, to actually make progress. Otherwise, it happened again. These epidemics or pandemics, we've had five of them in the last 20 years. It's not, you know, we got lucky so yeah. far. Yeah. But it's not like it was a black swan moment. It, you know, it hasn't happened yeah. for 100 years. Yeah. It's been happening all the time. It's just that it hasn't come to Canada except that we had a bit of SARS. Yeah. And that wasn't enough of a warning to yeah. say, you got lucky this time, you need yeah. to invest now, you need to do the right things so our businesses, our economy can be resilient. And I think that's a message not just for Canada, that's for all countries across the world. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it's surprising that it happened. It's actually surprising that it did not happen for such a long time, right? Um, so final thoughts then. I think we started this conversation out talking about how retail uh, and other industries will change as a result of everything that we've learned from COVID, from the vaccine distributions, et cetera. Final thoughts on what you think is permanently going to be different in the world of supply chain as a result of this pandemic? Well, in theory, given the outbreak, certainly in Canada, of e-commerce in, in, in where I've come from, we, we, we've been a lot more mature about e-commerce, much higher um, saturation and volumes. But in Canada, it's really taken off. Lots of people who've never used uh, e-commerce became you know, experienced users fairly quickly. We will see, in theory, a re-evaluation of the supply chain in terms of its importance to businesses to be 
and certainly in retail business it will be end-to-end -end retail supply chain that will be repositioned in terms of the agenda for leadership to the C-suite. The reality is quite different. I, I've heard so much almost Twitterati about, you know, we're resilient, we're agile, we're always going to be, or we, we've skipped lean, you know, skipped over lean, or we're, not, we're doing away with lean, we're going to agile and resilient, we're pivoting this way, pivoting that way, whatever. And I keep having to ask, well, what's different now than what you were doing a year ago? And the, the answer is a, a version of we're just working a bit harder, but it sounds good if we use these terms because they are very fashionable. We need to make sure that businesses value their supply chains in a much different way than they ever have done before. And the difficulty with the supply chain as it has existed is it's an invisible kind of hidden factory. It's going, doing its things, getting stuff onto shelves, onto backs of vehicles to go to people's home addresses, whatever it might be. It's only when it goes wrong does it raise its attention. And that's not a good platform for us to say, we need a couple of million to do this. We need a few more million to do that. And we need to you know, get into um, micro-fulfillment centers sort of develop that in dark warehouse and all these other things uh, against the merchandise saying, well, we've, we're going to do our assortment. It's going to be really good uh, from the store saying, we're going to create this great experience, store-based experience and marketing. This is the segment we're going after. And this is how we're going to address it. So the supply chain has always been kind of really down there in, in the gubbings. And on top of that, the supply chain has always been verticalized. It's been run in, in, in silos. So you have often, uh, depending on the scale of the operation, you might have a transport department, you might have your warehousing department, you might have your inventory control department. You always have uh, got their own separate budgets, their own set of priorities and scopes and stuff. And often inside the organization, they're constantly battling against each other. The supply chain is a horizontal process. It needs to be ripped out of all these other functions that want to get hold of bits of it, but not have any responsibility to the whole thing. We need to put it horizontally on the bottom of the organization and understand this is how we deliver value to the consumers. This is how we fulfill their requirements. It's the supply chain that does that. Yeah. And that person who looks after that sits with the other C-level executives and helps them make more informed choices about things like store location and the implications from a fulfillment point of view. Wonderful. So a lot more strategic, a lot more preemptive than reactionary then. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. All right. Weird culture change. Yeah, absolutely. It is coming. It's coming. Uh, I mean, you and I have been saying this for a number of years now, but hopefully a pandemic is what it takes uh, for that to happen. Um, so just as closing, would you like to tell our listeners who it is that you can help, who should come to you and how they can get in touch with you, Gary? I've been an interim executive working in the retail supply chain for um, quite a few years, <clears throat> about 30 odd and I've seen a whole range of different things. And my, my, my thing is bringing innovation in terms of network design and fulfillment approaches, particularly in the last mile. I'm very well known in Canada for last mile. I've done digitization of parts of the supply chain. I'm really quite keen to help an organization digitize its overall supply chain. It's a big project, but I think that's 
very worthwhile and also actually implementing agility. I've done that many times in the UK. And the other, the other couple of areas, which you might say is a continuum, is a business turnarounds. I would like to say a trillion of them, but I've done many, many business turnarounds. And of course, many businesses are facing some really tough decisions. And I, I've led companies through uh, turnaround and the strategic transformations, certainly around the supply chain repositioning that within organization. These are sort of five areas which I, I've been majoring through my career. In terms of contact to me, LinkedIn, highly visible there. Just reach out if, if, you, if you like what I say and you want to continue the conversation. Send me an invite, but tell, tell me that you've, you've listened to the, this, 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 this conversation or write to me at gary.newbury at supplychainspecialists with an S on the end, dot com. Wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for taking out the time to chat with me, Gary. I am very, very sure that this would be helpful, if not to people working in the vaccine distribution space in Canada, but even outside of Canada, because it's similar challenges, similar problems. Uh, and I look forward to keeping the conversation going. Thank you for the opportunity to share some, some insights in, in, in the wider span of this vaccine distribution activity. That is it for today from us at the Vaccine Challenge. We continue to work towards our mission of bringing to light all of the supply chain and distribution challenges that can help speed up the distribution of the COVID-19 vaccines world over. If you're doing anything worthwhile in this space, have any suggestions of who you should talk to or any other ways that we can improve the podcast, please write to us at contactus at vaccinechallenge.com. Until then, stay safe, stay responsible. This is us signing off from the Vaccine Challenge.